Well, I'm really grateful that I had two weeks to come here and share with you because last week we talked about this uh, ironic blessing, the high priestly blessing upon the children of Israel. And if you recall, it says that uh, Aaron would bless the children of Israel by saying, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the one who heard their cries and came down to deliver them, their redeemer, Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And then it says, and thus you shall place my name upon my people Israel. My name. You know, when I moved here in 1986, a gentleman in the church uh, asked me if I was related to any of the clappers in a small community. I won't name it uh, now, and you'll understand why here in a moment. And he said, are you related to any of the clappers over there? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I actually have very few relatives that I know of, clappers. And he looked at me, he said, you ought to be glad. <laughs> you don't want to be associated with the names of those particular clappers, I guess. Well, uh, do we really want the name of the God of Israel, the God of our scriptures, uh, to be the God that we identify with? Is he a good God? You know, today the, the title of the uh, message is The Goodness of God. It's really interesting that in Exodus 33, Moses says to God, God, I, I, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God says, no, you couldn't see my glory. It'd be like staring into the sun. It would kill you. But I will show you my goodness and my glory. And he puts him in the rock, and you know that. And he says, by letting you know my name, my name, my character. God says, my goodness and my character, uh, my goodness and my glory are all tied up in who I am. And Dave read this wonderful passage out of the book of Exodus chapter 34, where it says that the Lord passed before Moses, and it says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now this is the Lord talking about himself. This is who I am. It's another thing for somebody else to say who he is, but what would God say about himself? What would be his self-description? You know, I uh, heard where uh, a little boy one time uh, was drawing a picture. And his mother said, what are you drawing, Johnny? He said, God. She said, well, nobody knows what God looks like. He said, well, they will when I get done drawing him. <laughs> well, you might be here today and say, well, I'm not really positive that I want to be identified with the God of Scripture. But I think you will once you see his goodness. This is God's statement about himself. Now, we all have various ideas about God, but how do we know if we're right? A.W. Tozer's most famous quote is this. What a person thinks about what comes to their mind, rather, when they think about God is the most important thing about that person. If he's right, this great scholar is saying this, what you think about 
when you think about God, how you would describe his character is the most important thing about you because it will drastically affect your life. Well, this is what the Lord says about himself. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, all capitals, the I am that I am, the one who heard the cries of my people and have come down to deliver them. I am a God merciful. Would that be the first thing that you would say about God? Well, one thing you know about God, God is merciful. You know, it's a very interesting word in the original Hebrew language. It comes from the root word, word for womb. And you want know it saying? You may have a translation that says the compassionate God. It means this, and it's, it's a word that's full of emotion. God, I feel for you the way a mother feels for her infant in her womb. That's what God's saying, merciful. I tell you who I am. I'm like a mother who's constantly thinking and protecting the child that's in her womb and about that child's future that I give my life for my child. Perhaps you saw some of the pictures of the big explosion in Beirut, and I saw one where this mother was vacuuming in her living room. The explosion hit. There was a little child. The very first thing that mother did was ran over to that child to protect that child. God said, you want to know who I am? I am like a mother that protects and cares for this child in her womb. You ever notice pregnant women sit around and without thinking they're patting their stomachs? <laughs> Why? They're thinking about that baby in there. I want you to know that the God that we serve, the God who created us, the God who gave us life says, I feel toward you the way a mother feels toward her infant in her womb. Well, that's a pretty good God. He said, I'm merciful and I'm gracious. Gracious. You know, it's actually a hard term to totally describe. But whenever I think about the word grace, I think about the fact that when I was young um, and just came here, I was a runner back then, I was driving in Miami trails where we lived uh, at night and all of a sudden I thought a rock hit my windshield and uh, I looked and there was a kid about 12 years old running through a yard. It was nighttime. I, I got out of my, I left my car door open. I chased that kid through the neighborhood, over fences, through yards, several blocks. Finally, I caught him. I tackled that kid. I turned him over. He looked at me, he said, oh, hi, pastor. <laughs> he was from our church. I said, what are you doing throwing rocks at my car? He said, wasn't a rock, it was a pine cone. And I said, well, you're in trouble. So I put, took him back, put him in the car, drove to his house. His dad was sitting, I could see his dad sitting in through the picture window. And I don't even know why I did this. I just looked over at him, I said, do you know what grace means? He said, nah, mercy or something like that. I said, grace means I'm not going to come in and tell your dad about this. I'll never mention it at all. It's like it never happened. Go on in the house. This kid looked over. He goes, I like grace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I submit to you, we all, we're going to see here in a moment, sinned against God with a high hand. We threw rocks, not pine cones in the face of God. 
And because he loves us, he chases us down through his son. He catches us. He turns us over. And then when we say, oh, hello, Lord. He said, uh, do you know what grace is? I'm merciful. I'm gracious. And I'm slow to anger. Do you know that about God, that he's slow to get angry? It's one of my favorite Old Testament terms. It, it's, it's actually a strange term. It's arachapayim in Hebrew, and it means I have long nostrils. God says, I have long nostrils. Somebody kiddingly said, well, sure he does. He's Jewish. Well, that's not <laughs> what it means. No, God's saying it's used of a horse whose nostrils don't flare up quickly, or a horse's nostrils flare up. Mine don't. I have real long nostrils. I do not go, huh, huh, quickly. I'm very slow to get angry. Do you know that about God? My goodness, if I were God, I'd have whooped the daylights out of me a long time ago. (laughs) You too, right? Peter says he's so patient. Why doesn't he come back? Because he's not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. Therefore, he's very, very patient. Patient. Do you know that about God? If we know God, we know that he's slow to get angry and he's abounding in steadfast love. You know, I, uh, I actually have a RAV4 Toyota and I've, I've wondered this. The word abounding is the word rav. And I've wondered if maybe they took it from the Hebrew language because it means abounding. God is ravenous with his steadfast love. Why does it say steadfast? Because he just puts up with us. His compassions are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You know, the book of Proverbs says this. uh, Every man declares his undying love, but a faithful man, who can find? They're rare. God says, I hang in there. I abound, I lavish steadfast love. He sticks with us. If he didn't, uh, we'd be consumed but his compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, not ours, but his. You know, in Psalm 92, it says this, that every day we ought to, or every day, God proclaims uh, his love and his faithfulness. I try to do this every morning, get up and say, uh, God, and actually I do it with my left foot. I declare your love and your faithfulness. And I pray that tonight I'll be able to declare my love and my faithfulness to you. I tell you what, he's much more steadfast than I am. (laughs) Usually at the end of the day, I got to say, well, I wasn't here. I wasn't there. God is abounding in steadfast love. He never, ever gives up on us. And faithfulness, faithfulness. (laughs) You don't have to worry about him giving up on you, not being there. He's going to keep his end of the covenant. And it's a covenant statement. This steadfast love and faithfulness is like, like that marriage. He's, he's like Hosea and Gomer. You know that, that, that story? Um, 
in Hosea where Hosea had this wayward wife. And uh, eventually she ends up on the auction block being auctioned off and he buys his own wife. He's so faithful, steadfast love, even though she had had children by other men. And God says, that's the way I am with my bride. My bride runs around, has relations with every God on every high, tree, uh, high hill. And yet, I don't give up. I've made promises. And God, as John, Bob Dylan says, God don't make promises that he don't keep. Bad grammar, but great theology. Love and faithfulness. And if we go on to the next uh, slide, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And it just means innumerable. Remember that. It's going to come in really important here in a moment. God just says, for thousands and thousands, unnumbered, I am like this, this steadfast love. I forgive, interesting word, I throw away. And God has a good arm. <laughs> he said, I throw it as far as east is from the west. I, I throw it into the depths of the sea. What? Forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. Three major big categories of sin. I forgive iniquity. Do you know what iniquity is? It means crooked. It uh, was used of an arrow when this was written. You pull an arrow out of your quiver, you get ready to shoot and go, aw. It's crooked. It's, it has iniquity. Our crookedness. Man, we, we're, we're just, uh, if we were a piece of timber, we'd be thrown out. We're too knotted. <laughs> crooked. No, God says, even with your propensity to sin that you inherited from, by birth, going clear back to Adam, you're just crooked. There's something about you that goes... Uh, Foul, you know, I heard one time where uh, somebody must love baseball. They said, we're all thrown into this world like a curveball. And with time, we're going to uh, uh, we're going to curve down and away. <laughs> Give it enough time. Isn't it true? There's something within us. Um, Paul speaks all about it in Romans seven. I don't know why I do what I do. Um, there's just something at my core that is in rebellion against God and goes astray. I'm crooked and I need straightened. God says, I forgive that. Some call that original sin and transgression. You know, uh, some translations there says, says and rebellion. This is, this is willful, presumptuous sin. I do it because I want to. Remember old Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it? No, you did it because you wanted to. <laughs> I forgive wickedness. I forgive transgressions. That is willful. It, it, it's it's a, a word. It means to have a high hand. The children of Israel went out of Israel with a high hand, rebellion, right in your face. It means God forgives you when you write to your face. I sin because I want to. God says, I forgive that. I'll throw that away. And sin. Sin is just generic sin. Uh, just our, our waywardness. Um, a way I've tried to remember this is, do you remember Jonathan had that, that little servant boy that was supposed to go get his arrow, or rather it was David, and he shot it, and Jonathan was there? 
Let's imagine that David pulled out an arrow. He goes, ah, that one's crooked. He pulls out another one and he shoots it. And then he, he says to the servant, go get my arrow. And the servant boy goes, no, that's transgression. And then the servant boy goes, okay, I'll go get it. And he goes and he uh, can't find it. Why? Because the archer missed the mark. That's what sin is. But when you miss the mark, you don't only miss the mark, you hit something else. God says, I forgive all that. Therefore, you and me, we're, we're, we're here. There's no sin that we've committed that God says, I won't forgive. He's covered all the bases. All the bases. That's the God that is the I am that I am that created us. And then he says this. You're going to think, boy, this was good news till now. <laughs> it has been. But you know, God is not a pushover. It does say he's holy, holy, holy. He's merciful, but he's not the grandpa in the sky that at the end of the day, his biggest hope is everybody had a good time down here. No, isn't there something within us that says, yeah, but grace and mercy, forgiveness, that wouldn't really mean anything if he wasn't holy. Then it means something that you offended him. You know, in the book of Hebrew, or Romans, rather, the Apostle Paul says, behold, and that means not just look at, it means look very intently into this so that it has an impact upon you. Behold, both the goodness, which we've had until now, and the severity of the Lord. Later in Romans, it says this, that don't you know that it's the goodness of God that's to lead you to repentance? Nevertheless, if you just won't listen, then you're going to meet the severity of the Lord. This is balancing out the character of God. Jan and I were talking on the way here that it seems to me that everybody errs on one side of another. Uh, Martin Luther said most people uh, in their theology on God are like a drunk riding a horse. They're always bouncing from one side to the other. I think in this audience right here, we could say, when you think about God, do you think of him primarily by everything we've said thus far, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his long-suffering? Or do you think of him primarily as this, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, huh. meaning sin has consequences, you look at God a little bit more as holy, holy, holy than merciful, more like justice than mercy. Very few of us, I think, have that balanced out to where we say, you know, I know God well enough to realize that the God is everything we've said. But at the same time, why did Jesus come? 
He takes sin so seriously, he came in the person of his son and died for sin. That gives us a much better balanced view of this God of the scriptures. Let's look at this. He will, by, I, I think it's like, almost like everybody goes, oh, great, that's who got it. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Listen up. He will no means clear the guilty. That would be those who do not accept his guilt or his uh, forgiveness. Those who will not repent, will not turn to him, then they're left with this. He won't clear the guilty. He won't say, oh, it doesn't matter. Instead, he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. That sounds terrible. But wait a minute, I told you earlier, remember, thousands receive all my mercy and grace? Multitudes? This is very minor. What he's saying is this. Those who do not receive me in who I am as my father, it only won't affect them. If you live a life away from God, it's going to affect your children. It'll affect your children's children. Third and fourth generations, you don't just sin against yourself. We have an effect upon other people, our children, our children's children. You know, there's nothing worse than this. We just spent a week with our, our children, two, a son and a daughter and, and 10 grandkids. Sometimes my kids act like me. Have you ever seen that? You think, wow, my goodness. It's what's called generational sins. Um, and we have to give that to God. Our crookedness leads into the crookedness of others and they're responsible for themselves. What it's saying is God is not a pushover. None of these things would mean a thing if it weren't for the fact that he was holy. Therefore, settle out of court, accept his forgiveness. It'll affect you in generations yet to come. Next, let's see what Moses' response was. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Moses didn't say, hey, you know, I don't know about that part about if we uh, don't uh, accept your forgiveness that uh, it affects us and our children. No, he didn't argue with God. He just says, you're God. He bowed he hit the ground. He remembered he was dust and he put his face in the dust and he says, put his head toward the earth and he worshiped God. He declared God's worth. He said, you're a good God. You are a good God. By the way, um, I, I, for the first time in my life on my own, I read the Gospels when I was in the military overseas. And I remember thinking this, I really like Jesus, but I don't think I like the God, his I don't think I like his father. <laughs> and I think a lot of people think that way. Well, like I can handle Jesus, but his father seems to be kind of angry. You read all that stuff in the Old Testament and people think that God kind of, God the Father kind of mellowed out over time. No, this is who he is. Moses says, that is you. I'll worship you. And Moses, he knew God better than most, didn't he? Next, 
the next verse, verse 9. And he said, he's speaking to God, if now I have found favor, grace in your sight, in your sight, God, if you, if I found favor, and why, by the way, Moses, he had some rough spots, didn't he? Murderer, so forth, God ahead of God. If I have found favor in your sight, oh Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us with, with the children of Israel and me. If I found favor, then come and be, be present with us. For it is a stiff-necked people. <laughs> I'm not certain you want to be a part of us because we're stiff-necked. That means we're stubborn. We're like a mule that won't turn its head, you know? Um, and pardon our iniquity. For, forgive us, God. What he's assuming is, even knowing all this, we're still going to fail you, God, because there's something about us. We have this stubborn, stubbornness. And take us for your inheritance. Receive us as your children. And that you would have us uh, have the bounty of all your blessings. He, he seems hesitant here, like, God, I, I wouldn't assume that you would do this because, man, we just fail you over and over again. We tell you we don't like the way we're led. We don't like the way we're fed. We grumble. We complain. You give us manna. With time, we say, we're sick of this stuff. Give us some meat. You give us meat. We're never, never satisfied, God. But God, would you still be a part of us? <laughs> you know, uh, I go down to Potato Creek and I do a lot of running in the, the water down there at the beach. I don't recommend it, things full of algae, but there's nobody else there, so it's a great place for me to go down and, and exercise by running in water. It's a good, good exercise. And there's usually nobody there. I go early in the morning, and the other day I was there and uh, there was a man that came down. He ended up being a, a local teacher and coach, and he had two boys with him. And the boys were acting up a little bit, and they were about 14, I think he said. And he came out, and he started um, walking in the water too, and we chatted a little bit, and he seemed just a little upset. Good guy. And... Uh, said that they were camping. He took the two boys down to camp at Potato Creek, and he said, I've never camped before. And uh, so we're walking along there, and I got this sense that this guy was a Christian. I just, I, I just sensed it. And um, he told what community he was in, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm preaching at a church in that community in a few weeks. And he goes, uh, what church? And he goes, I used to go to that church. And I know I'm a he's a Christian. And now he knows I'm pastor. And all of a sudden, this guy stopped and looked at me. He goes, I adopted these two boys. And he said, I just spent the night with them in the woods. He goes, they're driving me nuts. He said, sometimes I wonder, did I make the right decision in adopting them? He said, they were so, they were foster children all over and just so in need. He said, but um, they're just, they won't do anything I say. This guy was beside himself. And um, I looked at him and I said, you know you and, and me, we're adopted, don't you? He said, yeah. 
I said, do you ever think God feels the same way about you and me? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, and I said, but God still doesn't abandon us. And I said, it's not, I know it's rough, but um, I said, just think when you're feeling so frustrated, how God must feel with you and me at times. And you know, that it was a, an amazing conversation and I believe it was helpful for him, but also helpful for me. Because, you know, if I were God, I'd take me back to the orphanage. <laughs> Say, I, you know, can I try, like a dog at, at a kennel, could I try another? <laughs> no, no, God doesn't do that. He's faithful to his people. Well, I shared with you that um, A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about a person is what they think about when they think about God. And just, uh, just a few weeks ago, this great theologian named uh, J.I. Packer died at 93, I think he was. And um, he had one book that came out like 50 years ago called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It's a wonderful book. He's a prolific writer and, and scholar. But his most famous book came out in 1973 called Knowing God. And it's a classic. And but in it, he has this statement. In the beginning of the book, he says, I walked in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited all future possibilities of advancement as a professor because of his clash over church dignitaries over the grace of God. He said, and as we walked, almost as a passing comment, he said, but it's okay because I've known God and they don't know him. And he said, it startled me and it got me thinking, which led to the book, Knowing God. Would I so comfortably just state, I know God? And then he said, I realized myself as a scholar and many, we know a lot about God, but we don't necessarily know God. You know, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Come to me, and if you come to me, you come to the Father. There's no jealousy in the Godhead. God the Father wants to be your personal Father. He wants to know you in all of these characteristics that he gave. He said, that's my glory. That's my goodness. Do you know the goodness of God? I pray that you do. Don't you know that it's the goodness of God that's to lead you to repentance? And then for all of us, nevertheless, if you reject the goodness and the grace of God, you're left with nothing but a holy, holy, holy God. And um, you need to also consider the uh, severity of the Lord. But he wants to know you in this way. Amen? Let's pray.